pray. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, O God. That, Lord, that though things may not start off right, through your grace and through your mercy, it is able to end right. It is able, O God, to correct and and be made right through forgiveness, through coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and having a desire to live for him. For our yesterdays are gone and all that really matters is our tomorrows. We can't do anything about our spilled milk, but clean it up. But Lord, we're so thankful that after we clean up the spilled milk, you refill our glasses. And Father, we pray in our lives, through our mistakes that we might make, through the sin life, that, Lord, that we will discover your forgiveness and we will discover that, Lord, you will fill our cups anew and afresh. We know, O God, that there are those who mean it for evil, but, Lord, you mean it for good. And as you work in our lives, that we're going to see the good days of our lives. And we're going to receive the good things of life as we walk with you and are obedient unto you. And we pray, Father God, that you will be glorified through our lives and that Jesus Christ will be uplifted. For we acknowledge, Lord, we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But, O God... How thankful we are that we are the righteousness of God. And that, Lord, he who knew no sin took all of my sin upon him, that I might become the righteousness of God. And that, Lord, my hope is not in myself, but my hope is in my Savior. And his word is true. And, Lord, we thank you. For the deliverance, we thank you for the rescuing, we thank you for the healing. And as it was sung, O God, we look our eyes to the author and finisher of our faith. We, we, We just lift our eyes to the one who is able to heal us. We lift our eyes to the one who is able to take all of our yesterdays and put it under the blood and put it in the deepest oceans and remember it no more. We lift our eyes to him, O God who can set a path before us and give us the courage to walk it. Lord, we are your people. May you minister to us. May you speak to our hearts. And Lord, we want to thank you for every mother. We don't know what each mother has gone through. But Lord, thy knoweth. And we pray, Father, today would be a day of blessing for them. And that, Lord, you would encourage them. And we pray for the grandmothers also, Lord. Because their job is never done. It goes from their own children to their grandchildren. That they are mothering. And, Lord, give us strength. Give them strength, O God, to continue to speak wisdom. To speak your words into the lives of their children and their grandchildren. And Lord, we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. With everything that is taking place today, and we see a lot of things taking place, it is surprising that in the Bible you never really hear the Lord speaking about single mothers, but we know that they were there. We know that they were there. Because when men go off to war, different things happen. 
We also understand that the Bible talks about the widow, and oftentimes that was the single mother, the widow, whose husband was killed in war or battle or something in that manner, or died early in life. But the Old Testament talks about mothers, or mentioned mothers, only like just over a hundred times. In the New Testament, it's only mentioned 18 times. But how many of you are aware that God honors mothers? And he puts mothers in the area of parenting on the same level as fathers. As fathers. And it's surprising when you read Genesis. Adam, yes, created first. And Adam's working. And Adam's naming the animals and doing whatever Adam does. And God says, there's not a helpmate for Adam. There's not a mate for Adam. But when he made the woman and brought the woman to Adam, only then, only then, only then did he say to Adam, be fruitful and multiply. Catch that. Adam's already existing. Adam, be fruitful and multiply. With what? Be fruitful and multiply. And then Eve comes on the scene. Be fruitful and multiply. God honors the woman. But every day the, the mother, the, the woman has to awaken and ask this question. Somewhere I'm getting woo. Every day the woman has to wake up and ask herself this question. Am I going to live godly or am I going to live worldly? Am I going to be a godly mother or am I going to be a worldly mother? Because it's not so much what you say that the children will follow. But what they will follow is what you do. It's what they see in your life. Not about what you say, although what you say may be important. For the Pharisees said many things and they were important. And Jesus said, oh, do what they say, but don't live like they live. Now just twist that for us. A godly woman is precious in the sight of her children. And a godly woman, her children will rise up and call her blessed. And the reason they will call her blessed is because they have something to compare her with. The mother of those in the world who do not follow after the Lord, and a mother who is godly. I saw this not too many weeks ago. A young man, and there's about three or four of us, maybe five of us out there, and his mother was driving by and saw him. Now this young man is in his early 40s, mid 40s. Mother's right around my age. When she got out that car, the first words came out of his mouth, oh no. Well, she didn't know who I was, and I didn't know who she was, and she was just being herself. But every word that came out of her mouth was MF this, B this, F this, and just a twisting herself and going, and bending herself over and hitting and and you could just see the embarrassment on him. And he kept saying to mom, I got to go back to work. I got to go back to work. But in the rest, the rest of us looking, you could just see the embarrassment on his face. Of the behavior of his mother. 
And what often happens with children is this. They are embarrassed by the actions of a parent, but they cannot say anything. So it gets buried on the inside. And all that anger on the inside eventually erupts. Because they're not able to really express it. And moms, every day you got to wake up and you got to be determined that you're going to be a godly woman, a godly example, a godly counselor to your children. It's so easy to give worldly counsel. And you need that all you can give if you're not in the Word. Is give worldly counsel. And you'll see the results of that worldly counseling in the life of the children. You'll see the dysfunction. You'll see the disorder in their life. You'll see the confusion in their life. Because the counsel that was given was not godly. And it comes to surface. You have to make the choice each and every day. If you're going to be a mother that is godly or one that is worthy. Morgan, G. Campbell Morgan, had four sons. And they were all at a meeting. They were all preachers. They followed in their father's footsteps. And somebody asked among them, Who is the greatest preacher in this family? Between the four sons and the father. And the one son just birded out. Mom! Mom! And sometimes with children and sometimes mothers, they feel like they are the preacher. But the thing is, is this. What's coming out? What's really being shared? What's really being shared? And you and I have to realize something. That there's no special book about mothering. But there is a book about godly women, the Bible. And what makes a godly mother is the Holy Spirit dwelling within that woman. That she has a sense of the Spirit leading her and guiding her and ministering through her to her children. When the southern kingdom divided, the Israel divided northern and southern, there were seven good kings with seven good mothers, godly mothers, who gave advice. There were eight ungodly mothers that gave ungodly advice. And it's strange that the last three kings of Judah was ungodly mothers with ungodly sons who were given ungodly advice before God sent the Babylonians to take them into Captivity. If you read Chronicles and you read this, it makes you wonder can a nation fall or rise on based on the motherly counsel that is given? Can a nation fall or rise based on the counsel that is given by a mother? Now understand something. Mothers, when you counsel your daughters about their husbands, make sure it is scripturally sound. Not experience, not the world, but biblically sound. Because your counsel may destroy a home. And with that said, let me step out here on a limb now.
We have dropped the word whore in our vocabulary. It is not used often anymore. And somehow, even within the church, we are filled with whores because the attitude is, God knows my heart. God calls us to be a pure and holy people. And there comes to this place today that somehow sexually, women or men, and today's about women, you can be sexually active outside of marriage and still be holy. Cannot be. Cannot be. And that's hard upon the women today because a lot of children are suffering because women want a piece of a man that will never be a man, never pick up his responsibilities, but they're willing to settle for a piece of a man that would destroy them and their children rather than repent and turn and rescue themselves and their children. Those are hard decisions that have to be made today with mothers. Because too many of our children and families are seeing too many men step in and too many children with too many last names in a family. That causes mental problems and anger on the inside. And we need to understand that. Anthaliah was an ungodly woman. She was the daughter of Jezebel. So when you call somebody a Jezebel, what are you saying? But Anthaliah married Joanne. And they had a son. But Joanne and the son both died. And Anthaliah, the only one who is mentioned in Judah as being the queen of Judah and ruling Judah, killed all her grandchildren. Killed all of her grandchildren. Gave both her husband and her son ungodly counsel, as Scripture says. And after they both died, in a sense she set herself upon the throne, not knowing that one of her grandchildren was spared because a priest took him and hid him. And later on in life would face her, even in the temple as he was being crowned king of Judah. Anthaliah never made or never looked at the God of Israel for she was a Baal worshiper. And she cleared out half of the temple to set up for Baalism. And I'm saying this on the negative side for this here. Have you cleared out half of God's temple in order to bring in your bellism? To bring in your ungodly counsel? To bring in worldly gods? Or are you hanging on to the one and true God, the Lord Jesus Christ? Your children know. Your children know. Now on the positive side, I want to look at something. Turn with me to Exodus 20. And look at verse 12. Because here is God honoring the mother. Found here with the verse with the father also. But in the commands, 
It's only it's the only command given with a promise. Only command given with a promise. I like to think and say this is where the old folks got to saying, I'll take you out of here. Because the promise is that if you honor and obey mom and dad, uh, your days will be long. And the only ones that would shorten your days would be, uh, understand back in that time, wasn't no 911. Back in that time, it wasn't running next door to the neighbor for help. He says in that verse 12, Honor your father and your mother. Now, God puts them on the same plane in parenting. Both have a responsibility. Both have a role to play. And God says, Honor both father and your mother so that you may live long in the land. That you may live long in the land. He's saying, you honor mom and dad. And that has to be something that is incorporated within the life of a child. That a child would recognize how to honor a mom and a dad. And you have to teach that. For a child to honor you. He goes on in Leviticus 19.3. Turn over to it. Leviticus 19.3. And, and something that sticks out. He says, each of you must respect his mother. Now, now catch the role reversal here. For even in that day and in that time, What was important was the father. What was important was the male's name. And God switches it. And every now and then in scripture, when you see God switch something, God is putting an importance on it. Like in Acts, when you first look at Paul and Barnabas, it is reading Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas and Paul. And what's happening, Barnabas is teaching Paul. Barnabas is teaching Paul. Then later on in Scripture, you see the Holy Spirit change it. Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas. Here what we see in many areas, it is father, mother. Father, mother. And God says, no, I'm going to put the mother first in this one. The honor to show the importance of motherhood. And, And he says... Boy, that the honor, each of you must respect his mother and father. Each of you must respect your mother. And then he puts the father second. It's amazing sometimes how the Holy Spirit puts words in the Bible. But he changes sometimes for us to look at it with a different emphasis. Brandon, tell me. How many times did your mommy change your diaper? How many times she wiped your rear end when you couldn't do it? How many times did she bathe you? How many times did she feed you? How many times did she take and put a spoon in your mouth when you couldn't do it for yourself? And you know something? You don't even remember those days. But the thing is this here. Out of knowing those days took place comes a high respect for mom. Because as a young man, you're going to struggle with giving her that respect and obedience. Unless you can reflect back that mom washed my old filthy drawers when I couldn't wash them myself. Mom did this for me, and mom did that for me, and mom to recall. And oftentimes with children, they don't recall. We're assuming they're going to recall. We're hoping they're going to recall. We're hoping they're going to remember what we did. But in the mind of the child, often what is said is this. I didn't ask to come here. So it lays the full responsibility on who? 
But what children miss is this. You didn't have to do it. Because today we have a lot of absentee moms just like we do with absentee dads. We have a lot of moms that are running away. We have a lot of moms who are just doing the maintenance work but not the loving work. And that's the difference. See, a lot of moms who just do maintenance work, yeah, they work and they do and they do the feeding, they do the clothing, that's maintenance work. Okay. But on Friday night and Saturday night, it's about who? They can care less where the child is at. That's where love comes in. That you just don't throw your child off over here and over there. That's, the, that's where real love comes in. And you take the interest of the child. And we're going to see that in Scripture. It's a mother who attends the basketball games after working all day. The football games after running all day. It's the mother who goes out and does all the soccer running. Hey, how many of you know soccer dance? I never heard that one. But soccer moms, why? Because they were the ones doing all the transporting. They were the ones at the games. And the moms are the cheerleaders. The moms are the encourager. And the Lord simply says, for all that... Each of you must respect his mother. For all that they do, you respect mom. There is something that we miss today. And we miss it, why? Woo, big time. Because today is just having baby after baby after baby, and we have somehow missed motherhood. Now, what we saw earlier with the basketball player, single mom, two kids. Start off wrong? Yes. Because where was dad? Never here. But yet, God is able to take and he's able to do something special. And he did it. But we cannot negate the sin part that was there. We can't overlook that. Okay. I don't know where she's at today, if she's walking with the Lord. I don't know anything about that. Nothing was said. But yet God amazingly has done something. We forget in our culture and society today that motherhood is a privilege. Granted by God. Motherhood is a privilege granted by God. There are a number of women who, for some reason or another, who cannot give birth to to children and long to do so. And we even see it in biblical times that they would pray and God would open the womb or God would do something. But today we have baby after baby after baby not understanding the privilege that God has granted the mother to be a co-worker with God in continuing life that he has started way back in the garden. It's a divine privilege. We don't teach it enough. We don't say it enough. That as a woman, you are God's co-worker in bringing forth life. In bringing forth life. Go with me to Psalms. And, uh, and what I want you to see is this here. This area that, yes, we are God's worker. Psalms 138. Uh, oftentimes we, even the woman... Misses it. 139, I'm sorry, Psalm 139. Come down to verse 13 with me. 
And listen to what God is going, is going to say here. And this is why it's a divine privilege in being a mother. He says, For you created my innermost being. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. So what's going on in the womb? Guess what? You don't even know. You don't know how God is shaping the head, how God is shaping the hand, how God is making the nose, how God is fixing the eyes. You don't really know what all God's doing, why that child's where at? Being formed in the womb. That God is knitting this child together. God is forming. God is making. And you are a divine instrument that's going to bring forth that which God has created. And you're working with God. And it says it's what God has done. What God is creating. What God is forming in the womb. And nobody knows that child's real beginning and end but God. And he goes on and he says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Guess what? David had enough sense to understand this. This was not something that mom and dad did. This is something that God has did. This is something God has made. This is something God has put together. This is something God's ordained. And science... Oh, we can go through all the technical terminology of this stuff, and we can talk about the seed, and we can talk about the birth canal, we can talk about the man carrying the seed, and this and that. But the final work of all of this is God's work. And women, you ought to see yourself highly favored by God in this thing called life that allowed God to continue His work. Through you. You are a divine instrument in the hands of God to bring forth life with a soul that one day should be your prayer that this child be used of God. That this child be used of God because it is of Him. It is of him. Along with the privilege of motherhood comes great responsibility. Those endless hours of caring for a child. Those endless hours of teaching a child. Counseling with a child. Ministering to a child. A mother teaches herself to give of herself. A mother teaches herself to give of herself. A lot of mothers don't get their time out until everything's at rest and in the bed. You don't have to go to work to work. If you stay home as a mother, you're working. If you chase a one to two year old or three year old or four, you working. I don't know too many men that can chase eight hours a day at two-year-old. And oftentimes what we forget is that God made this person called woman for that divine purpose of motherhood and nurturing children. We come to this place now that... Yes, it is a divine privilege. It is a huge responsibility in raising children. But it should be obvious to all of us that God expects our children to have a basic education. We need to understand that. And that's why it says that the parent, that mother, is an instructor also. Not just the father. But the mother also is a teacher and an instructor. He tells us in this framework, do not forsake your mother's teaching. Go to Proverbs 1.8.
And yes, the Father somewhat sets the tone, and we'll get in that on Father's Day, but we need to understand. Oftentimes, the Father may set the tone and share what he wants, but the reality of carrying it out, oftentimes, is the mother. Why? The Father's gone. The Father's gone. Now, understand this here. It's not like going to work for eight hours a day. It's not like going out in the field. In those days with Israel, much of this was given, when you went out to battle, you may not come back home for months. When a soldier is sent overseas for 12, 13 months, who's seeing about the kids? Who's instructing? Who's teaching? Who has the whole load of the household? That mother. He says in that verse 8, he says, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Now, catch the second half of this. And do not forsake your mother's teachings. Your mother's teachings. Because moms, you teach. You teach. And hopefully what you're teaching is godliness. Hopefully what you are teaching is the word of God. Hopefully what you are teaching your child is how to live as a godly woman or a godly man. How would a child read God's word without an education? Oftentimes for the church, all we're supposed to do is win souls. If the church does not begin to educate, if you look at the educational system, every since if you study history or study the history of just school, every since the church has withdrawn from schools, our educational system has went down, 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 down. What people don't realize, the public system competed against the Christian system of education. And that took its standards up very high. So therefore, when school first started, you had prayer in the public school, just like you did in the Christian school. But as Christian schools and Christian churches started to fade, you begin to see the falter of public school. But understand, the God of this world also knows this. Where you're going to pull for your leadership in the future is from basically a secular education. Not from a godly education. And just imagine, how could God expect his people to write his words unless they learn how to write Much of the church today cannot read because of the lack of the public educational system. And we wonder why people no longer carry Bibles. They can't read it. And the first thing that mothers need to do is begin to teach their children to read. God's minute directions and construction of the tabernacle would have been impossible if he had not educated his people in the area of math and measurements because they are set. God's intent has always been that his children properly be trained. That his children properly be trained. And at that is the mother. The mother. Trained in the word and trained in the wisdom of a God that will mature a child's character that one day will be able to be used by God. 
Go to Acts 16. Let's see this in action something. Acts 16.1. I'm going to argue from some of what sometime in theology we call the argument of silence. But I think history also then will bear out. For many commentaries and many writers will say, well, Eunice accepted the Lord most likely at Paul's first missionary journey. I would say that Eunice's training started way before Paul. Based on a word that is given prior to it. He came to Deba and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer. Why would the God put that she's Jewish? She's Jewish and then a believer. And we understand in Acts is also oftentimes identified Jewish believers and Gentile believers. But it says that her mother was Jewish, his mother was Jewish, and a believer. Just saying the word that she was Jewish, could it be a possibility that she was looking for her Messiah? Could it be a, a, a thing that she was taught by her mother, Lois, even before Paul got on the scene? But all that Lois was able to teach her was Old Testament truths. But what I want you to catch is this. There was teaching going on. There was teaching going on. And this mother was teaching a child about the coming Messiah that he was promised. She's teaching Old Testament. So that when Paul comes along, it's not hard to believe. Not hard to believe. But in her teaching, and after Paul came along, she accepts the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's a basis that is there. Today, in our culture, many of our children never get into church. There's no basis. There are people 30, 40 years old, never dock the doors of a church. There's no basis. There's no basis. Even grandmas don't take their grandchildren to church anymore. So we have a group out here today that know nothing about religion per se other than what their own minds can conjure up. And it goes on. And I want you to look at the character here that is built because some mother took time to teach a son. It says, Timothy lived whose mother was Jewish and a believer but whose father was a Greek. Now, she didn't allow that to interfere with what she was what? Going to teach her son. It would have been great if the father would have been a believer also. But because it's not stated that he was, I have to come to a conclusion he was not. So in that home, there's a divided home. Satan has a foothold in it. But because Satan has a foothold in your home, does that mean that you don't teach about Jesus? No, you teach. And you understand, greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. And you need to understand, if you're the saved one in the home, you're the one that's covering everybody. And and she goes on and she says, the brothers of Lazarus and Iconian spoke well of him. Boy, if you teach the scripture to your children, people will speak well of them based on this fact. 
how they conduct themselves, how they carry themselves, and what people see will amaze and shock people. And they'll wonder, how, how does that child know that at this early age? What are they comparing? They're comparing them with what they see. And said, boy, they spoke well of Timothy. But Timothy and Paul both somewhat steps out of the box. Because in chapter 15, the council had concluded circumcision was not an important thing. But yet, to many Jews yet, circumcision was very important. So, this mother entrusted Paul. Now, let me share something with you. Sometimes you have to entrust your child with somebody else. But who you're trusting them with, make sure they know the Lord. Don't trust them with everybody. And it says, in verse 3, Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. Now, now listen then. Stop. You didn't hear a big argument. I don't have to be circumcised. I'm going to go preach the word. I don't have to do that. I'm going to go preach the word. Let me share something. If you're going to preach the word, sometimes you have to step out the box. You have to go beyond what maybe is required of you. Because Paul knew if he took him with him and he wasn't circumcised, a lot of Jews wouldn't pay any attention to him. And here's a mother who would trust her son And Timothy's a young man here. But this man called Paul. But catch this and closing now. Turn to 2 Timothy 1. I want to show you something that may not be happening today. One of the very rare things of the Bible that it mentions, too. In the New Testament here. Pick up in verse 5. I have been reminded of your sincere faith. For first lived in your grandmother. Now, he tells Timothy right off, I'm reminded of your what? Your foolish faith. Your lackadaisical faith. Your on and off faith. No, he said, your sincere faith. Who built that into that child? That what they believe, they ought to take what? Seriously. Seriously. It's not something to play with. And too many of our young people play with Jesus. Too many adults play with Jesus. But it says, Timothy took Jesus, what, very seriously. And then it goes on and says, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your who? Grandmother. Paul brings this out. It first starts with grandma. So grandmas, y'all got a job to do. It's not over with yet. You got a lot of teaching to do. And every time them grandchildren are with you, talk about Jesus. Say something about Jesus. Read them a Bible scripture. Quote them a Bible scripture. And even before they eat, teach them at your house. They may not pray at home, but where are they going to pray at? Yeah, before we eat, we pray. Amen. Teach some very simple, basic things. No, you're not the parent, but you are the grandmother. Use that for all that is worth. Elaine takes it overboard. Because she'll tell, I'll knock your head up. (laughs) But the whole thing is this here. She loves them. And they know that they are loved. They know that they are loved. And she's not ashamed to share her faith with them. And not scared to stop them and say, let's pray about this. Let's pray about this. Let's pray about it. 
So it was first in her grandmother, then in mom, Eunice. Eunice. And then from Eunice to Timothy. What do you see there? Grandmother, Eunice, Timothy. What do you see? Three generations believing in Jesus. That when Lois passed on, her witness of her Savior is going to continue in her what? In her daughter, Eunice. When Eunice passed on, the witness of her Savior and the witness of her God is going to continue on through who? Her son. And most likely, if Timothy had children, it would be passed on to those children. And guess what? It continues to be a witness for God. And see, in the church, we're losing that. Because parents are saying this. Well, as long as they believe in something, wrong. They need to believe in Jesus Christ and Him alone. They need to live and follow Jesus Christ and Him alone. Because that's the next generation of what we see. What kind of mother will you be? What kind of grandmother will you be? What kind of teacher will you be? You're the one who has to wake up every morning and make up in your mind, I'm going to be a godly grandmother. I'm going to be a godly mother. And my children and my grandchildren will call me blessed because of what I have put into their lives through the word of God. Amen? Amen. It's a challenge. It's not an easy task. Because oftentimes our children don't want to hear about our God. Sometimes our children don't even want to pray. And sometimes our children don't see us praying. They don't see us reading. They don't see us being obedient. And yet we're saying to them, this is what you need to do. It all starts with who? Me. With me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for your loving kindness to us. And we pray, O oh God, for the women of today, that those who name the name of Jesus, that there will be no adultery, no whoring around, no foolishness, because it harms the children, but it harms them. And that, Lord, where repentance has been made, that there would be true repentance, that there had been a total turn from a certain lifestyle to a lifestyle that will honor you, a lifestyle that will respect you, a lifestyle that my children can look at and rejoice in, that my children will not be ashamed of who I am as their mother, 